And welcome to Arise, the Honest Man's podcast with myself, Karun Avatar Das, and my dear co-host, Jai Jagannath Prabhu. Men rising up to end the silence around us about the chains that bind us, to dispel the darkness of illusion with luminous spiritual technologies, to finally become the hero within us all. And today we have these incredible babies rising up with us, uh, here to help us better understand the core nature of women from their own perspective. So such a warm welcome, dear Dania, Kishori Jani, and Bhakti Lata. It's such a pleasure and an honor to have all three of you with us. Thank you for having us, what an honor. Thank you, yeah. Right back at you. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. I'd like to um, apologize that my background is ghetto. I'm using <laughs> a nice, nicer background, but I'm having a lot of internet trouble, so I had to switch spaces. And I got this ghetto space, so that's what we got today. Um, <laughs> it's all about the foreground. We appreciate the foreground. Yeah. <laughs> um, a little disclaimer here that we're, this is kind of like part two of our discussion on woman as temptress, mother, and fortress. And obviously, we're just breaking open this, this sort of can of worms. So the, the conversations around it are likely to be inadequate because a lot more is always going to be needed to be said. Um, but despite that sort of shortcoming, um, we wanted to start the sort of conversations just to demonstrate that sensitive issues can be talked with cool heads, without yeah. misgivings, without misunderstandings, or with ability or space to clarify misunderstandings, and that it doesn't have to be such an issue where it, it further divides us in our communities. And so we want to be able to show that example. And so that's what we hope to do. So in our first one, we had only men, but then these Davies came to our rescue so we wouldn't get <laughs> shot down for mansplaining. And so we're super duper grateful to them coming to save us, rescue us. They do a great kindness to us. We have Bhakti and Tanya. They're like, um, well, they're artists. They're, uh, well, Tanya's a mother. They're both artists. And they're both like sisters to me. Like we're like biological sisters. <laughs> <laughs> Same mom, same dad. <laughs> um, and they're also the co they they are part of contributors to the our sort of sister podcast, Seeking the Center, um, the Honest Woman's podcast. And we also have here with us Kishori Jani. I don't really know her, but I saw her on Nam Ras's podcast a couple of weeks back talking about a very similar sensitive issue very courageously. And so I was like, wow, we should also get her on. And so here oh they God. are, these three babies who come to our rescue and continue the conversation around a sensitive topic, woman as temptress, mother and fortress. Goddess was added on at the end, so we can bring that up too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also just want to say like, Bhakti and Danya are already two of my like most favorite heroines. And then I listened to Kishori and then she just like instantaneously also just like <laughs> rocketed Aww. into that category. So I'm like, I'm just oh, genuinely Krishna. humbled to be with all of Krishna, you. And it's Krishna, like, Krishna. I'm just like, yeah. I, I get I'm very so... sentimental. So, so just, but it's real. It's real. Like, it, it's real. I will tell you, it's real. <laughs> it's right back at you both. I, I'm really, really honored, honestly, and humbled to be here. Um, I'm super nervous. So. <laughs> Right off the bat, this is this is amazing company for me and a dream come true. <laughs> this is real sangha. I appreciate being here. 
Okay, so I guess the first sort of quick question, did you all get a chance to see our first podcast on this particular topic? Were you able to engage with that yeah. a little bit? Okay, yeah. cool. So Definitely. what we're gonna do here is I'm going to recapitulate the questions that were asked on there with a very quick summation of the answers that we got. And I wanna give the space for you all to respond either to the questions, to the answer or both from your own meditations on the subject matter and also from your own experience. Um, that's the that's what we're gonna start with and we'll see where it goes from there. So first question that was asked on the podcast was that it appeared that the language of scripture was directed at men and thus indicating a distinction between the sort of education that was given to men and women. So, I'll be right so, back. You okay, no problem. I'm, I'm listening, I'm listening. So it was clarified that the, the language, especially the injunctive language of scripture when it was giving instructions, when the word man was used, it was to refer to all of humanity. And that was similar even in the English language where the word he or him referred to the whole genus of humanity. So we pressed Hari Prashad on that a little bit and said, well, it still seems that there was a distinction in the sort of education that women got and the education that men got. And then we kind of got into this area of, well, yes, there's different adhikar, adhikar meaning qualification or eligibility. And of course we know that when it comes to just individual humans, we are distinctly qualified in different ways, but we were pressing the issue and saying, well, it seems from the approach of training of men and women that there was distinction and qualification in terms of gender. So genders were qualified distinctly. And we kind of, he kind of confirmed that, although there wasn't like tons of elaboration, but there was sort of a confirmation that yes, there is a distinction and qualification in terms of gender. There's something there with that. And the social structure of the old world took that into account. And then he kind of gave an example, actually, I think this was later on, but it, it applies here also. The example was given that there's an economic distinction or, you know, you can do this job and someone else can't do that. And some, you know, there's a distinction there. Right, so, he, was, he was saying that a, an accountant or an architect or something can't do an accounting job. Just naturally. Right, right. Like that. That yeah, that was the example that was given. So there was, and then, so also there's some distinction, at least in the old world, between genders in terms of, and education was provided according to that eligibility. So um, I know in our modern, or I should say postmodern egalitarian world, that's gonna be a hot topic. You know, that's something that people will get <laughs> definitely triggered by. Um, so I wanted to hear your, your kind of thoughts on that question, the answer, and maybe your experience on that. And don't feel like you have to answer every question. You can just leave it to your sisters if you want to. But if you feel like you have something to say, do speak up. And also just like with a particular emphasis just on how it sits with you, how you really feel about it. You know, like we want to, we want to hear your understanding, but it's more about like really how you experience this particular tenet of uh, if we may say so. I mean, I like the I like the acknowledgement of the distinction between the male experience. Let's say we're talking now about education, right? And learning. Mm. The male experience of learning and the female experience of learning can be different mm. in that there's different methodologies that may work for certain psychologies better than others. Mm. 
That makes sense, sure. not just between genders, but intergender, right? There's going to be men who are highly academic, men who work more in an apprenticeship or hands-on way, men who have more of an emotional intelligence approach and learn through connection. So if that's true within the genders, and I'm sure you guys have experienced men who have those different kind of learning styles Absolutely. and modalities, it only makes sense that that would exist within womanhood and across both genders. Mm. So it's kind of a common sense, you know, understanding that, you know, there was certain ways of education that made sense, you know, if you were going to be an academic, that was going to be set up a certain way. And academia typically has that patriarchal lean to it, right? Mm. This, the structure, even nowadays, academia is a more masculine, uh, structured, instructive hierarchical approach and that works for many minds and let's say that for the sake of categorizing that will work for maybe a more masculine nature has a more masculine lean to it i feel like that's valid and i also feel like it's valid to acknowledge that women or uh, people who have a more feminine lean will learn a different way and that academic structure is not necessary it, there's a different way of learning and so um, I thought that that was really relevant. It made a lot of sense. It actually made me think of, um, you know, in the 10th canto, the, the Brahmins and the wives of the Brahmins. Mm. So it's implicit that the Brahmins had Gurukul teaching, had, uh, you know, that hierarchical, academic, shastric, uh, literary, you know, they were like instructed in that very structured, formalized way. It's implicit that the women were not, however, <laughs> the women were considered to be of higher realization in that Leela, right? It's considered that they were actually self-realized and then become the gurus, worshipable gurus is the word that Prabhupada uses mm -hmm. of those Brahmins because of the extent of their realization. So there's no question that equal or perhaps even greater knowledge can be acquired outside of like structured academic educational mm. systems. So for mm. me, it just makes sense. Like you can get to the same place through various different modalities and perhaps your gender is what, what influences your attraction to that modality. I don't know if that makes sense, kind of the way that, that it resonated with you. It does. Like, Daniel, you're so brilliant. I'm, I'm like, bless you. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta agree right there. <laughs> Oh, I, I mean, I, that really, that really, you know, resonates with me as well. At the same time, I, you know, you're saying that it, it might have a masculine lean to it. I, you know, maybe it was just the, the rebel in me that pursued the more masculine, typical subjects, you know. Mm. Um, I, I loved math, I loved physics, and I excelled at it in chemistry and all those things that generally... Um, don't right <laughs> that, that are not generally considered feminine I guess and uh, so, so my take on it is actually that it's not that it wasn't available or that they were there was somehow this um, objection to it it's just maybe they didn't choose it like this I you know when I think of women that didn't fit the box KK always comes to mind, right? Like she, <laughs> she's always, she's my favorite character to always go to because how did she know how to ride a chariot? How did she know how to save her husband? How, like, obviously it wasn't like women couldn't learn those skills that were typically masculine or typically. Um, so I, I do agree with what, what you're saying, Danya, that, that it seems to have that masculine structure. 
but I don't, I don't find that in the Vedic system there was any kind of objection. I, I personally, that's not my take on it, but women were not allowed to study the scripture. We they were not a, allowed to. Sorry. We, yeah. had, we heard a couple of examples also, right, from Hari Prashad about the Dharani yeah. right. with it, and, and I forget the Clearly. other name. Yeah. I mean, how does Queen Kunti, like, she, these prayers are just so incredible. Like, she's obviously, either she's a poet or she's learned how to, you know, recite these Sanskrit shlokas. Um, so it's, uh, I can't, I can't, I, I, I can't accept within me that somehow women were not allowed or that women don't need education. That, that might be a separate conversation, that women don't need it, because how much am I using my biochemistry these days? <laughs> I'm like, okay, I spent a lot of money and a lot of time. So th 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 what is education? What is mm -hmm. the goal of education? That, that is also a very, actually a very relevant conversation, even in this postmodern era. Not everyone agrees with the standard set of uh, measurement that we have for everyone. I don't mm -hmm. think even, even non-Vedic uh, people are, are accepting of this, of this debate or this conversation around what is the goal of education? Why are we subjecting ourselves to the standard? I mean, and if the brahmanas, if, if, if men or women were, were truly inclined in that way, then they had that adhikar and they were, you know, you kind of have to prove yourself. And right. then you, and then you, you study whatever, whatever it was. That, that's my experience of education. At the same time, can I just mention that the question was, is it geared towards men? Right, mm -hmm. that was kind of how you right. phrased it. Right. I do. I do feel that it 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 has this For sure. this this underlying notion that that men need to pursue this path of spiritual advancement because, mm -hmm. dare I say, but there's another assumption here. And please don't kill me. This is where Just I'm like. Keep it real, girl. Keep it real. It's okay. <laughs> Disclaimers all around, not my opinion, please. This is just, uh, this, is an, this is an assumption. Probably not even an assumption. Hopefully someone can find me the Pramana. Where, where women were not required to have this kind of gyan for this attaining the Paramgati, the highest goal in life. Women have a distinct path from men. And it usually is tied in with men. And dare I say that, that it's not necessarily a limiting thing. My, anyway, does that make sense? Have I clear, clearly stated what I'm trying Kishore, to say here? Kishori, Kishori. It's like, I think a lot of people listening that know you and all of us, like we all know that you have become a mother on like an epic level and that that oh, is God. essentially as Please, you also no. told us no 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 truly that's that's also as you told us on 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 namras's podcast you know like basically your your motherhood and your duties in relationship to that is what consumes basically all of your time and energy right so like that is your experience that's how you're experiencing it and and hence like yeah. your views in this regard can you know no one can take that away from you because that's your experience yeah sure i, I was just gonna say though i was just gonna clarify that actually that's not 
my view. I mean, so 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 there is there is there is a Vedic version that that states that women's spiritual advancement, if it's not directly in Ananya Bhakti, okay, I gotta backtrack a little bit. Um, yeah, coming back to this idea of Sri Dharma is directly linked to a man. Now, this is not my opinion. Please, please, this is not my opinion. The Sri Dharma dictates that somehow the the spiritual measurement that we will that we will be measured by is actually linked with the husband. Mm-hmm. And 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 let me make I have to really backtrack again because the assumption there is that immediately when we hear that we think oh my god that's ridiculous that's lunacy of course especially for me that that's that's what I thought when I first heard that idea and you know I'm still grappling with it I'm still grappling with it so help me (laughs) so my point is that that maybe Maybe it's because we don't have to. Now my my perspective has shifted from women having to study Shastra to attain Paramgati, the ultimate goal, you know, uh, spiritual emancipation, whatever you want to call it. Maybe it's that we don't have to do it because we have a, an easier dharma and that maybe men have to do it because that's their dharma. Now, I know this is going to open up a whole can of worms because... This is not something that we talk about, but maybe we can have. That's why else. we have the Honest Man's podcast for that purpose. Okay. So that we has any of you heard? Have, has any of you ever heard this? The the the, the idea that a thank you. This isn't. <laughs> this is in the. This is in our philosophy. This is in the. This is. This is not something I've made up. This is not my opinion, and I really wish it wasn't. My, you know, <laughs> this way, but. I'm not stating it is or it isn't. This isn't me, like, you know, standing on a moral high ground and saying, oh, look, I got a husband. I'm doing it right. No, this isn't, this isn't me um, stating that everyone needs to. But this is something that's in our scripture. Mm-hmm. So how, I want to have this conversation. This, what mm-hmm. do you think about this? What, what do you, what, because what, it, it triggers me regularly. It, it, I have to come back to it and re, reassess it. And the way I make sense of it, is that maybe it's not, maybe everything written in Shastra is not against me. Maybe it's, mm-hmm. maybe it's there to help me. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's there to provide some kind of, you know, easier path because the actual path, let's say for those of us who choose motherhood, is extremely difficult. <laughs> it's it's uh, your, your body, your mind, your senses, everything is completely consumed and transformed and comes out the other side like unrecognizable in some ways okay mm-hmm. so to have that expectation that a woman should do that and that and that she should be educated she should be a mother she should you know succeed she should be um, illustrious in every way and also be fully learned and, and, and well versed <laughs> You know, well, I, I mean, what kind of a god would do that to me? Like, you know, I, I would have, I would have felt like if I had the same requirements to achieve perfection, I would feel it's unfair. Mm. So if I, if I shift mm. the perspective and think, mm. 
Oh, so he's saying that if I just be, you know, a good mother or a good, mm. good contributor to society in this way, if I do mm. some tapasya, if I, if I play my part of, of this three body, physiology, psychophysical uh, gift that I've been given, if I just do it with uh, acceptance and joy and deep understanding, then I don't have to do what men have to do. Mm. I don't have to do, because, you know, Kuntidevi, this prayer is so beautiful. This one line, really, this one verse really stands out. And she's like, you know, these Paramahansas, these Amalatmanam, these Muninam, these great souls, these learned transcendentalists, you, you know, you appear in their hearts and you, you give them this bhakti jnana. You give them because they have understood the difference between matter and spirit. They have achieved all of this. And she says next, she says, how am I, a woman, supposed to do that? Now, to me, that she doesn't say how am I supposed to do that, like just like out of humility. She uses the word woman because we've got a lot on our plate. Even this postmodern idea is that women, there's just too many roles we're having to do. And we're, we're, we're dictating that. It's not everyone else who's trying to tell us that uh, this is what you have to do. This, this idea of the mother, mother's mental load. Yeah. It, it's pretty immense. It's not yeah. only are we, we're expected to not just be mothers. Mm. Mm. And, Here's and, I, and I, and I, and I, just a really interesting comment here. We have to consider that it is also in itself sexist to assume that women need to assume a more masculine role as most modern 100%. feminists think. Because this implies that the feminine interests that most women naturally have are somehow inferior. So thank you, Gopi. Spot that on. Really, yes. Really good. Yes, wanna, true. I, that's exactly. You've um, definitely probably opened a can of worms for a lot of people. I have. And I have, it's I, great. It's awesome. I, I was interested to hear Bhakti also, if you got something on this same question and your experience with it. I'm really resonating with both what you've shared, Danya and Kishori, and a lot of your points I was meditating on, even in reflection on this question. And I was thinking, you're like, oh my God, this can of worms, I can't believe I'm going to do this. I'm not <laughs> such a can of worms to acknowledge that there are physiological differences between men and women. And we can also see on a very basic level, that those physiological differences manifest in the way society is structured. Mm. So I, I was reflecting, oh yes, our shastra geared towards men. I mean, you could say that, you know, the vidhi, the instructions are geared as a, as a genus to mankind, humankind, not mankind, woman and mankind. <laughs> people kind. I think it's humankind as a right to say it now, people kind. Yeah. Oh my God, people kind, okay. <laughs> so it's geared towards everyone. Um, at the same time, I just have to acknowledge, yes, scriptures are probably geared towards men. Education, yes, men, it was pretty much, men were the ones who received education, not only in Vedic society, all over the world, mm. all over the world. So why, are, it doesn't seem like, oh, it's this sexist thing in India or even in China or in Europe, or, it's just all over the world. Why is that the case? I highly doubt every man in this world is trying to exploit and subjugate women and push them down to the dust and refuse them education. There has to be a different reason. And I was reflecting yeah. on a simple reason 
just physiologically, men and women have different functions. And it right. really boils down on a very biological level if you're going to have a child. And I was thinking, like, um, you know, with the advent of birth control, that's when really women were getting more education and pursuing careers. And I even looked it up. I was like, you know, who are the first women to graduate from, like, Harvard and Ivy League colleges? And, you know, it started in the 50s. I mean, Harvard was founded like what, 400 years ago or something. So only in the past 50, 100 years have women actually been going to college, graduating. And why is that? Because they can actually control when they have a child because it's a huge um, responsibility. And as Kishori was saying, it just, it's all consuming. So, but I was even thinking like, okay, even when you get a degree, right? Um, okay, like I've known so many women and I was reflecting last night and even you sharing, Kishore, you have a degree in biochemistry, but I know so many women who have their degrees, they have their master's degrees, their PhDs, and then what happens when they have a child? Right. I gotta go be a mother, right? So it's- $20,000 so in debt, no, I'm just kidding. Right, exactly. <laughs> like how much should I be getting paid for this work? So I was thinking almost like career is the new motherhood nowadays because seriously it's so much austerity involved in becoming a mother and as a woman who doesn't have a child yet i'm very much like in this process that i want to start a family and it's like wow what does that really mean the austerity involved mm -hmm. in having a child and raising a child is so intense uh, this line struck me hari parashada prabhu was saying you know that i think his guru yes. mind, a woman becomes old you know, when having a child, I was like, oh, girl, oh, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, when I went to India after the second one, they couldn't recognize me. They were like, yeah. what happened to you? Like, whatever, like, Kishori, whatever, oh, you look oh, eternally oh, like on, 20 years old, I'm get, like, out good, right? get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. I'd like to acknowledge something that you're saying that I think is very interesting about the old world and the postmodern one. The old world, or let's say the postmodern world has been transformed by technology. You know, and let's say beginning with birth control, which is a type of technology. And so the, um, a lot of these sort of social um, contracts will be were dramatically altered by the birth of technology. And that can be that can definitely be traced out. And so I would just I'm just amplifying and appreciating that I did there. Why there could be a distinction between education because Right. I don't think it was because it was like all men are just patriarchal demons who are just trying to suppress women. I think exactly yes that like even when women get an education, like I just I received my master's last year and we're all educated here. You know, I mean, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not educated, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, even when you get a You're just a Muni Nam, you're an Amalatma. Like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> women who get an education, they kind of are just like, well, this is like a very high priority. And Kishore, you were saying, what is the goal of education? I mean, what is the goal? Is that you're offering something of value to society. You know, I'm going to go and become very highly qualified in whatever field it is so that I can you know, maybe offer some new technology to improve life. But ultimately, the goal is to improve our, the status of our souls. So, exactly. you know, that's true education. So my sense is that, you know, if I'm really being a mother in the highest 
way and being like a healthy mother and, and being in a loving way and being there for my husband, hopefully, that, that that is contributing to society in the most foundational, basic, biological, powerful way to actually raise beautiful children. And it is so austere. There is nothing romantic about it. Um, but I, you know, I could just see from just my observations, but I'm understanding there's so much beauty to it because it's offering something of value. And, and so I just think, yes, mm. education has been geared towards men. Yes, the Shastra has been geared towards men. Um, do I think that it's because there is just this natural kind of pushing down? No, but, no. I, do, but I do think that women have been, you know, very hurt when they use these Shastric uh, quotes or the, you know, use, when men have used Shastra to exploit women, that is where a lot of hurt comes in, a lot of pain, exactly. a lot of suffering. So yes, that I, I think just because they have not been offered that education, still seeing and venerating the role of women and what they have been offering to society and their value. Yeah. Danya, okay, sorry. I just, yeah, Danya's yeah. got this really pensive look on her face. So I'm like, I'm like, what's that? I That's because she's pensive. <laughs> okay, I yeah. just want to acknowledge this because it's really interesting. You know, a woman has to survive now and it's unfortunate she cannot thrive. She cannot... Um, afford not to be independent because men are not reliable and responsible mm. enough to remain in the marriage. So, you know, that's also like, another can, mm. of, worms. Another can mm. of worms. Let's put the top back on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Something that will definitely, we would definitely have to talk about a lot of these issues and more elaborate on this podcast, but just to right. say a little bit on focus, um, Danya, do you want to respond to anything? Cause you had that pensive look on your face. So well, I think, I think it's interesting because, um, you know, we want to be careful not to categorize things and say if a woman doesn't get educated and go grab a job or if she's not a mother, therefore she's useless mm -hmm. to society. Mm -hmm. Because those are not the only two categories and they're not mutually exclusive. And mm -hmm. motherhood doesn't evaporate your degree. I use my degree every day. Mm -hmm. I have a job. I contribute to my family. I raise my baby. Now, I will say this, that it's impossible to do any of what we want to do in terms of contribution to society if we don't have support. So if technology has done anything, it's kind of increased the stakes in terms of men's contribution to society and women's contribution to society and the breakdown of the village, the breakdown of the support system, the breakdown of spiritual integrity, such that Anybody can pursue whatever their line or lines, because there can be more than one, mm. of work are according to their nature and their qualification. If your nature and qualification is to go get a job and be an incredible contributor to society through medical advancements, which many women have done, scientific advancements, which many women have done, you know, academic advancements, literary advancements, all of these, you know, athletic, you know, ability, dem you know, then go and do that thing, go. And you shouldn't be stopped based on your body. It's according to your quality and according to your ability, your qualification and your nature. And if you're a man and you want to do it, go do it too. And you don't just have to pick one. Okay, my contribution is going to be motherhood. See you later, engineering degree. No, go do your thing, be an engineer, be a mom. But a true spiritual community would rise up to support you because they know that the more you pursue your own nature and the more you develop your qualifications, because it's not like you just, you know, my kid's outside. She's not an engineer yet, but if she has that bent, then girl, go get an engineering degree. Awesome. I'm going to be rooting for you. Bali's going to be rooting for you. Hopefully everybody on this podcast and listening is going to be rooting for you because right. you're going to contribute to society. 
So go grab that degree. And if you want to pop a couple babies out, pop them out too. What's the problem? <laughs> have a system of support where you have numerable ways of contributing to society and everybody's rooting for you. And the fact that you happen to be born with a certain chromosomal configuration is not what's going to put the brakes on it. In mm -hmm. today's day and age, if that was the old world way of doing things, maybe that worked for a certain number of reasons and that could be valid and there's no reason to disqualify that. I'm sure that had its merits and its benefits, but I don't live in that old world, so it's not practical for me. I have to mm -hmm. extract the essential part, which is how do I contribute not just to society because like mm -hmm. Western postmodern society doesn't want to do anything but squeeze the juice out of me and dispose of me. Man, woman, child, old, young, whatever. I'm talking about spiritual society, true society. This is what I'm talking about. So I'm, I'm hearing everybody kind of say these things, but I'm saying the possibilities are actually expansive and endless. And what we really need to do to support moms, to make it less exhausting, burnout, uh, academically exclusive, um, aging, is create a system of support, not just for the men and not just for the women, like for everybody. Can we not get it together to do that given our spiritual technologies? Like, I think we can. I have a, um, first of all, I'm blushing still. <laughs> You're just like extremely articulate. It's just like, I'm like, how do I know this person? But I, I have a, a slight pushback. I do, I, I, I want to hear your thoughts on this and hear everyone's thoughts on this also. I, Technology, I feel, can create a illusion about the extent of our limitations mm -hmm. as, as individuals and as a community. So I feel like in the old world, there wasn't that much illusion about limitations. And so, you know, like if you were gonna have a child, for example, I'm, and I'm just placing myself in history. Yeah. I obviously don't know experientially or anything. I'm just intuiting that if you were to go back into time and like have a child, it was just probably really a more all-consuming sort of situation. Whereas now with technology and sort of support that you get from technological advancements, it may not be as all-consuming. You got For this sure. sort of technological support, but it also feels that it creates an illusion about the limitations that we have and we don't always honor those limitations. And so we keep trying for more and bigger and better. And that kind of leads to disintegration of healthy, mm -hmm. like let's say roles within community, uh -huh. roles within relationships. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know, I get a sense that that might also be sort of the downside of what technology has provided in mm -hmm. our relationships and communities. Uh, there's some comments on that. Danya first, and I think Kishore, Johnny, and Bhakti look like they like doing this. So <laughs> Sound that too. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, it's 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 better to do things thoroughly, right? And so mm -hmm. rather than kind of hopping around and becoming a jack of all trades and then wanting this and wanting that, one thing is to check our intentions. Am I doing this for prestige, grandeur, appreciation, adoration, mm -hmm. followers? That's a really bhakti thing to be taking a look at, which is <laughs> do I want this degree because I want to say I have a master's, I want to say I have a PhD because I have a rivalry with the opposite gender, I want to do it in defiance, you know, like kind of what Kishori was, was placing as her own example, which is, no, I'm rebelling against what you're telling me. I'm going to go out and get that degree. I'm going to, you know, like that kind of thing, you right. know, is there's a different mood than, than what then Kishori, you know, you were explaining in your own personal example, which is let me reflect on actually what is my nature? What is something that is really pulling at my heartstrings? Can I do this thoroughly? And so I agree that, you know, you, you have to know what your limitations are 
but that sounds like an area for self-reflection and communication with genuine well-wishers of which there are few in this life. Right? <laughs> Brene Brown says, Brene Brown, she works in like uh, social research and she studies vulnerability and shame. She says that the amount of people who are your genuine well-wishers who are like your safe zone for feedback, you should be able to write their names on a one by one square of paper. <laughs> How many names? <laughs> right? So, you know, that space for feedback, what are my limitations, does not need to be dictated um, by somebody who doesn't necessarily know my nature and my qualifications. I agree with you that technology will give you the illusion, especially because technology has that bent of consumerism. Mm. I'm going to consume, I'm going to exploit, I'm going to get famous, I'm going to be visible, I'm going to blah, 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 like enjoyment, enjoyment, enjoyment. Um, it's got a totally different flavor when it's placed in a spiritual community. And Srila Prabhupada, by nature, was a big thinker. He wasn't of the think small mindset. My Guru Maharaj is not of the think small mindset. They are of the, the sky's the limit mindset. Do all that you can do mindset but for Krishna, for his devotees. And so I think that the mood is going to change and that's going to determine your limitations mm -hmm. because it's different to do things for personal mm -hmm. motivation than to do things through a stance of empowerment. Do I think people can be unlimitedly empowered for spiritual seva? Yes, I do. I think that. Mm -hmm. Nice. Kishori, you, you look like you got a lot to say mm -hmm. too on this. And Bhakti also. I saw Bhakti <laughs> shaking your head. Daniel, just want to acknowledge... I'm I'm still blushing. That's all I do. Okay, keep sorry, Johnny. Yes, Bhakti does have unlimited potential. Um, I just I guess uh, dialing back a little bit to the idea that all choices are kind of equal. Uh, from my understanding, this is this is why I said it's opening up a can of worms because because I'm still grappling with it. Okay, so 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 that's my disclaimer. According to the this Dharmic Vedic understanding, all choices are not equal. Like Hari Parshad mentioned yesterday, you know, he's like, okay, we, we all come into this world with a certain debt that we cannot repay to our parents. No. The debt on the son is to be a dutiful son. The debt on the daughter is to pass on this mood of sacrifice and tapasya and to give to the world. Now, of course, we can say, well, I'll give to the world through my engineering or through my um, degree and, and by doing something great for this world. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I think the, the, the Shastric perspective, it's not a material doing. Mm -hmm. It's not something that can be measured in terms of a material vocation or a material mm -hmm. achievement or how much money we make or how, how successful we become. The Shastric, the measurement is, is a selfless act of, mm. of paying this forward in terms of motherhood. Mm. And I mean, like you were saying earlier, like it, it, it physiologically, it's, it, we cannot deny that there's a certain, there's just a certain blueprint that we've been given and, and it's not there to oppress us. It's not there like, so yeah. before we can, I mean, either we can jump to the motherhood dilemma, the motherhood question, or, we should um, to that one next. We could just, yeah. we could just, but but also just also I know a lot. I got some flack for maybe the intention of why when I said the podcast that oh maybe 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 you just gave up on your material aspirations because you had the wrong intention and therefore you realized oh that's not really who I am. It wasn't that. It wasn't that I realized this isn't who I am. It was more that this is not fulfilling. 
Mm. Not just to me, I can see that I had no one around me, Mm. especially elders. Like to me, the measurement of the success of the society is the elders. So my boss, I did research for a couple of years in a hospital. She's like a really successful lady. She's, she, she, she typically should have been my role model. And she was in many ways. She mentored me for many years and I really looked up to her, but she was not a happy woman. She, she, mm-hmm. she was very successful. She, was, mm-hmm. she, she achieved so much she, and she contributed to society. She did a lot of research that directly connected to, uh, you know, adolescent autism and ADHD and all that. So she is contributing. And I'm not saying you can't take that away from her. That's beautiful. She's contributing to society. But personally, she mm-hmm. was a mess. You go, walk into her office and there's just piles of stuff everywhere because it's too overwhelming for her. I'm not, you could be like, well, that's just a one-off experience. You know, all women are not like that. But there's, there's actual research that claims that women in, in high-pressured uh, chronic situations where it's a long time of pressure, we deal with it differently. We, we actually, our response, our physiological response to chronic pressure over a long period of time results in more diseases in women than in men. Mm. Why is that? Our physiology isn't, isn't cut out for that kind of uh, stressful, high-powered, success-oriented, driven, like, Yes, you're contributing to society, but at what cost? And is there an actual spiritual benefit in it? Is it like, I mean, if, yeah. One one comment here. When a woman operates in a masculine role, i.e. the male-orientated workplace, she will produce more testosterone. This then prevents her from producing oxytocin, her happy, feel-good bonding hormone. Then she produces too much cortisol, the stress hormone causing her to be twice as stressed as men at work and four times the stress when she gets home. That's because she's not supported by many husband at home with all the chores and does not have the time to align with her femininity, etc. So, yeah. So I'm hearing the woman probably needs more support, Mm. not that the woman shouldn't go to work. You hear what I'm saying? Like it's that there have to be systems in place that support people's natures, not that make people choose between a limited amount of natures is what I'm hearing. Also, I will, I'm also hearing that the there is a sort of imposition, which is called the material body. We can't deny that. There's a, that body, and that includes the subtle body, the physiological and psychological part is an imposition. And Shastra is giving wisdom for how you can work within that imposition to seek fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And, and not only the fulfillment of yourself, but a certain fulfillment in the collective mm-hmm. and there may be limits there may be limited choices as far as the fulfillment point comes into play mm-hmm. and not in terms of what you're going to be doing as mm-hmm. for yourself or what you're interested in but in terms mm-hmm. of the fulfillment element there might be some limitation am i reflecting that okay okay <laughs> <laughs> i i wanted to give you a chance to, i just want to i reflect that okay kishori jenny yeah, yeah, go on. I'll, I'll, I'll come back because I really have something to say. I hope I remember. Okay, Bhakti, please. I want to hear your thoughts on this too. I resonate a lot with what Kishori was sharing. Um, and also, I also resonate a lot, Danya, that there is about, about having a woman feeling like that she can pursue her dreams. 
um, like feeling intellectually stimulated. And I was thinking like right now, I don't have work right now. I specifically was like, I need some space. And I was working in New York City, teaching in the Lower East Side for a few years. And that high level stress, this constant stress, sometimes I would get to work before the sun had risen and I wouldn't leave until the sun had set. Like I would come to work when it was dark, I would leave when it was dark. And, you know, just, just this nonstop, just work, work, work. And, and so I was like, I need to take some time off and I need to have some breathing room. And I was thinking though, just being at home, being a housewife, it's just, oh my God, sometimes I'm like, my brain is rotting away. <laughs> I want to use my talents, my skills, my intellect, my strengths to still be of service. I feel fortunate that I do have a husband who's supportive and progressive in that way, that he's like, yeah, do what you want to do, but don't feel pressured that you somehow need to like support everyone and do everything. He just wants me to be fulfilled. And that points to that point you were saying, Kishori, like it's about fulfillment. Like if I really was to dedicate myself to being like a career woman, there's just no draw for me because it just doesn't feel like that's where I'm going to find fulfillment. And actually, like in New York, right when we had left, I felt like my career could have totally even taken off. Like I was getting my foot in the door in some really amazing institutions. And I just felt like, let's move to Alachua, Florida, <laughs> because that's where we're going to find that community and that fulfillment and ultimately like spiritual fulfillment. And so not that it has to be exclusive, not that, oh, I can't have a spiritual life and feel materially connected. And frankly, the kind of job that's my dream job right now is just working at a, at a college nearby. I don't necessarily need to be teaching about God or anything. I just wanna feel like I'm using my talents and my skills. I can support my family in whatever way and you know, in a simple way, but not feeling the pressure that I somehow need to either change the world or I need to mm. family. Although that could come into play. I think my heart always naturally goes there just I want to be of service in some way, but at the same time feeling like there's a simpler way to find that fulfillment and I'm still exploring it. I don't feel like I have the, the final answer. Just that, you know, I'm, I know that I'm not going to find it though by like pushing myself to, you know, enter into some intense institution or position. This very subtle, some real nuances are coming here. And I feel like we should do a little bit more churning because I just see all the pensive faces. And I'm like, if I move on now, I might get shot. But <laughs> I, I think one, I just want to maybe sh not really shift gears. I don't want to shift gears, but I want to fast forward to the mother archetype because this is coming up a lot in this conversation that we're having right now. And so, uh, yeah, we, when that got brought up, the mother archetype, and I did kind of push this element out that it seems that a lot more women in the postmodern world are kind of um, apprehensive about embracing that archetype. And mm -hmm. um, the answer that was given in response to that sort of statement, which may, I don't know what the statistics are, so don't shoot me. It's just my own personal observation. It could be totally wrong. It was just, okay, I'm trying to get myself from being shot. Um, so this, he, Hari Prashad said, mentioned this point about ashrama. And the word ashrama meaning complete, like, shrama, like, struggle. 
And people kind of shine away from that because we're like- It's hard work. Yeah, it's hard work, but it's leisure and pleasure. And that wasn't a critique of women shining away from motherhood, but just of humanity in general. And included within that are women who may be shying away from this responsibility. Um, And then he, from there, he transferred over to this indebtedness topic that has come up in the course of this conversation. So it's not that, not only do I have an imposition that is the body itself and the psychology itself, but by taking birth, I've become indebted. And there are certain ways to pay that debt. When, mm. rather, when you're in a man's body, when you're in a woman's body, when you're in this position socially or that there are ways to pay that debt, not only for getting fulfilled, but for paying the debt. You owe something. Um, and, mm. and part of that with a woman, it seems, was having children. And so that got brought up in the course of the conversation. Hari Prashad is watching us, so thank you. I'm scared and touch <laughs> and honor. He has this comment here in regards to this topic. Um, sorry, due to lack of time, I could not speak about this yesterday. Mm. Those who do not have children for any reason, performing pure bhakti is another way of repaying all debts. And this can be seen in Srimad Bhagavatam 11.541. So nice. it's, I'm not really switching gears here. We're kind of in the same gear, but we're we're shifting it towards that mother archetype and the conversation that came around that. Okay, go. <laughs> There's something come up for me immediately, just if I may say, when you were saying women shying away from motherhood, I felt very humbled yesterday when Hari Prashad was saying that. Because I feel there is a part of me that definitely shies away from motherhood because of the austerity that I'm anticipating. And I felt like, oh, it's not just me. It's just like society in general also just taking on that hardship. And I'm still like, okay, taking on that next phase of life is very challenging. And I'm appreciating also Hari Prashad Prabhu's this um, quote that he gave about yeah, really like offering service right that this is you know not everyone needs to be a mother i'm not saying that i don't want to be or anything but just kind of like there are all different kinds of people and allowing space for that that offering service to the lord is also it's like a divine way to pay that being here in this world yeah yes danya i saw you do this <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. What what better contribution to yourself and to everybody else around you than to develop pure loving devotional service for Krishna and his devotees? That's what it's all about here and that's not a body limitation, right? right. And as a as a kind of sidebar or extension to what you're saying, you know, women shying away from motherhood, there's a component of that that might be nature, which is not every woman is designed to be a mother by nature sure, sure. and by qualification. Um, I've worked in, you know, child protective services. I serve on my local CPT. I can tell you that even the desire isn't the same as qualification to parent. And you can do great damage to a society to have children without wanting to and to have children without being qualified to. Facts. I just want to so, say, I'm just going to amplify that. I'm not well, going to get 100%. The other thing that I want to say is how long have men been shying away from fatherhood? Mm-hmm. That now the emphasis is on that the emphasis is on mothers shying away from motherhood. What is more supportive for a mother who has that inclination and that nature and that qualification than a worthy partner who supports her and contributes his fifty percent in the form of fatherhood, physiologically, psychologically, spiritually? Absolutely. So mm-hmm. I think that you know to say that you know 
well, ever since birth control, everything started falling apart. <laughs> I mean, the single parent household has existed since long before birth control. And I think birth control can sometimes be women grasping for a way to take back their power when they've been disempowered and let down by men, let down by society, let down by their community. And it's obviously not a safety net because we still see problems, birth control or not birth control. So yeah, those are just my thoughts on that. I, I, I want to respond to that just so y'all don't come after me and shoot me, those who are here online. <laughs> I definitely didn't want to um, ex imply that because of like birth control, for example, no. technology, yeah, that women are now shying away. And I absolutely 100% agree. I want to I, I want to go on record as saying this is that growing up in the postmodern world, I didn't know that I had a responsibility to my society. And when it came to matters of relationship, it's always been framed around love and never around what is your responsibility to your family, what is your responsibility to your society. So I didn't know growing up that, wait, I have a responsibility to be a father at some point. I have a responsibility to have children. That never occurred to me. Um, and certainly this sort of digital media I consumed growing up, that wasn't ever really a thing. And whenever I did see like an image of a father, it was just like, okay, this is like a deadbeat guy. You know, a lot of the sort of things that were going on. So it just doesn't occur. Just, I'm just amplifying the ashrama point of Hari Prashad. Um, and so definitely saying my observation of women shying away from motherhood, I think it's the same is true on the opposite side. Just, it was coming up in the context of the particular sure, subject sure. matter. But yeah, I just wanted to say absolutely and amplify that. We didn't know we had a debt to pay. I didn't know I had a debt to pay until I came to Hare Krishna movement. And then luckily we were told that you can pay the debt by bhakti. And I was like, okay, I'll take that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> if I sure could just, yeah, please, please respond. I just wanted to put it out there because I don't, I definitely, my persona, my online persona and my real life thinking tends to be like more, what is considered more conservative. And so I get a lot of flack for that sometimes, but I just want to say I'm resonating fully with what Danya is also talking about. I'm still blushing since the beginning of this podcast. And I want to clarify my position on that. So y'all don't be coming after me on social media. All right, Kishore, Johnny, yes, please. Okay, I got, I got a few things to dial back on. One was, yeah. um, one was this assumption. I know that, um, that, but of course, society has a role to play uh, in supporting mothers or women in any field that they choose. It absolutely uh, makes sense. It's essential, and I fully support it. But at the same time, it's uh, essential to acknowledge that uh, that might be an uh, it's, it's a tall order, and maybe it's not something that we can expect from everyone around us because. My, my perception of bhakti is that we can only be responsible for what we do and the expectations we put on others. Let's say I'm saying I, I would like to be a mother and a, mm. uh, you know, engineer. And then, and, and societies should support me on that. I feel that's a little bit of a, a selfish place to come from because like Jai Jagannath, you're saying that we are refusing to acknowledge the physiological limitations that, that might just naturally be um, because from my experience, it's very difficult to do motherhood and something else without sacrificing something in motherhood and sacrificing something 
in something else. So, so this, this narrative that we can do it all, I find, is actually shooting myself in the foot. In, in my experience, this pressure that I was feeling that I can do it all. I can be a mother and do whatever I want, or I can just choose one or the other. That, choose one or the other. That, that would make more sense because I'm not saying you can't do it all, but there is a price to pay when you do it all. And usually the price is bared by the children. And I, I can speak from experience in, within ISKCON because our parents were doing it all, my parents especially. They were, they were doing 12 hours of service and chanting 16 rounds and everything. And, and generally, the vulnerable class in society feel the burden of, of that. And, and, and if you see that, in my experience, if I'm trying to juggle too many things, the children are going to feel it. So, so I, I would like to just acknowledge that within myself. That, that this notion that society has and kind of signals at me all the time, that you, you can do it all, Kishori. You mm-hmm. should be able to do it all. I, I, I refuse that notion. Mm-hmm. I, I challenge, I choose to challenge that. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I say it's fine to be a mother. <laughs> I say it's absolutely fine that I'm a mother. And, and I know that you guys are going to think, yeah, yeah, of course it's fine, Kishori. No one's questioning that. But there is an underlying postmodern understanding that like like how even Bhakti Rasi and Bhakti Lata you were you were saying that somehow we feel like our brains are not being you know gonna get brain dead if I just sit at home or I'm gonna become a blob I heard this recently in a class somehow I'm just gonna become this 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 creature that's just tied to the kitchen and has no uh, you know personality or no character I choose to challenge that notion because in my experience, woman, womanhood, I mean, motherhood has been truly revolutionary. It, 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 it has transformed my experience wholly and completely. And sure, I don't have the greatest recall capacity because of my hormones, <laughs> but, but, but I am not a blob. I feel like I have made the greatest spiritual uh, progress in my role as motherhood, in fully embracing it. And, and what I'm noticing more and more is that because we have this narrative that we can do it all, even when we become mothers, we're actually really struggling with it. Mm-hmm. Because there's always a part of us that's, that's thinking, okay, well, what else am I doing? Who am I really though? Oh my God, I'm, I'm not just a mother. I'm not, how, how could I just become just a mother? Ah! It is this, this serious sense of, of not accepting ourselves for, for what, what it is that we've become and feeling really oppressed and limited and, and judged by society. You're just a mother? Well, surely, I mean, Kishori. I, I mean, so, so I challenge, I challenge the idea that we can do it all. And I challenge the notion that society has to somehow owes us something and should, and should support all of our roles in everything we do because it's not physically possible. Mm-hmm. Someone's gonna have to pay the price somewhere. I'm gonna share this quote, just, okay. Well, that's yeah. nice. I thought you may want to share the same one. What did you want to share? I wanted to share Hari Prashad's quote. <laughs> Okay, good. Sorry, Parshad, but um, 
just this because it may be another element to this discussion. Breakdown of joint families is also a possible reason. Previously, when people lived in joint families, many women and men in the family together would take the task of raising a child much easier. It is excruciatingly difficult when a single mother has to raise a child. Um, my mother was a single mother and I believed that she could do everything because she was doing everything at some point. But later on, I did come to discover that she sacrificed her career to raise us because she was a single parent and um, much, much later. And then anyway, I don't even know if I should say this probably because she might not want me to say all the things. So I'm gonna have to be a little bit careful because she watches all my stuff on social media. Oh, and I, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't realize that until I go home and visit her. And she's like, yeah, you did this post and you did that post. And I'm like, I better be careful what I put on social media. So I don't want to just, um, but anyway, she struggled. And I remember one time distinctly asking her about her experience as a single mother. And she said, I just felt it was so unfair. And I, I never, like, I remember that being very much imprinted in my mind that I felt that it was just unfair that I had to do everything. And um, so I'm resonating with that, but I feel like there's a little bit more to squeeze out of this because the pensive faces have not gone away. Yeah, Colonel Avatar. Yeah, I'm. I'm also just just realizing that this single motherhood element and just like, or or let's just say single parenthood and children growing up in that context and seeing how immensely burden, burdensome it, it, it can be for the parent raising the child. And then uh, bringing up Balaram's question here, um, growing up in broken families with no fathers, how can we men overcome our fears of ending up the same as our fathers? I know therapy is one way, but any other tips? Just, just a brief insert, because this is like, this is a huge thing. I mean, you all have to figure it out, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't mean I this in a, yeah, I don't mean this in a, in a derogatory way, but yeah, okay. you know, there are, there are systems in place of, of mentorship, of therapy, of educating yourselves in ashram. You know, the purpose of the brahmachari ashram is not just to learn to be a celibate monk. It's actually a preparatory school for being a qualified grihasta. And to graduate from your brahmachari ashram, your gurus, your teachers are there to vet and make sure that you're qualified as a husband, that you're not going to be let loose and be some nuisance to society. So, you know, that takes qualified teachers, that takes a system of education, and maybe that's where this academic setup comes in. It has to be so structured because so much education has to come in mm -hmm. because so much strength and knowledge and, and um Common sense has to be infused in the situation, but I think that it would be beyond the, the bounds maybe of this conversation and also beyond the bounds of our task as women to figure out how men are going to get their manhood together. I think that women are, you know, but, but I will say that, you know, and, and, I, and I've heard Kishori speak on this and I'm sure that, you know, Bhakti also harmonizes with this because I know these women that you can't downplay the role of mother as guru mm. and that good men come from good moms mm. because women will show by example how a woman is to be treated you know 
when you say mother, especially mother in classic Vedic society, that's not a small role. We're talking about the top of the tippy top. Like, and so mm -hmm. to honor that role is also a, it's a living practice of how to interact with women. That first woman that you interact with as mother, the honor, the respect, the, the cherishing, facilitating, protecting, nurturing, all of that, that you are supposed to first learn from your mother and then give back to your mother and give to your sisters and give to your wife and give to your daughters. That's lived in by example with the relationship with the mother. And also uh, it gets taught by men who are mentors and teachers and who are living examples of how to exemplify that in the masculine. So that's, I mean, what came to mind? Um, this comment, oh, sorry. This comment is here, Danya is my hero. She's my hero too. <laughs> I, want, I want that to go on record. I, I also wanted to go on record that my mother is my personal hero also. And I, I met, maybe I've shared this story before on uh, Arise, but um, yeah, when I was five years old, we had this exercise of drawing our heroes. That was some exercise that was given like that. And, you know, people were drawing like Spider-Man and Superman and different things. And I drew my mother and we had to, Hi. Had to <laughs> and so we had to go home and, you know, show our picture to our parents or parents. So I came and showed it to my mother that she was my hero. Later on, when I joined the ashram, my mom got a chance to meet my guru. My mom is also, by the way, she's a very educated woman as well. She has two master's degrees, very brilliant lady. And when she met my guru, there was like tension because she was always having some second, she was apprehensive about my joining the Hare Krishna movement. And the only way I could convince her to meet my guru was to say that, would you like to meet the man I'm gonna surrender my life to? <laughs> and, you know, it, was, it was a trick because I knew she would be really irritated by hearing that because you're not supposed <laughs> to surrender to a man, you're supposed to surrender to God. So she came and when she met my guru, they were sitting across from each other and complete silence. And I'm sitting in between them, complete silence. And then my guru Maharaj was like, well, do you have any questions? And she was like, no. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, this is a disaster. So then I started glorifying my mother very naturally that I feel it is because of the way she trained me and protected me growing up. Because her training and protection was fierce. And because of that, it made my transition to Krishna conscious life very easy, very mm -hmm. smooth. I was able to embrace it. Living in the ashram didn't even feel austere. It just felt like living at home. Mm -hmm. And so I started glorifying my mother like that. And then my spiritual master started glorifying her. And it's like he had five mouths. When he wants to glorify, he really glorifies. <laughs> my mother just broke down into tears, mm -hmm. like hysterically. And I, and, and I, I, was like, I was like, mama, what's wrong? <laughs> like, I, I couldn't understand what was going on. And, um, and so just I'm just amplifying what you're saying, Danya, about not downplaying the role of motherhood and the life of generating the sort of man that could be good fathers and good husbands and et cetera, et cetera. I just wanted to Look at how wonderfully you turned out, Prabhu. <laughs> I don't know if, um, Bhakti, do you have any more on this? I, I hope we get to the other archetypes, but a lot of juice is coming out of this particular one and this particular conversation. I didn't know if you wanted to say anything more on this. Um, no, I just, I'm just appreciating your challenge, Kishori, that like challenging this idea, I think it's very unpopular. Mm. Your challenge. <laughs> 
I know. I know. I'm going to get in so much trouble. No, 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 but no. This is an honest man podcast. This is my truth. It was, you know, it's a challenge. And I feel like, um, you know, I feel challenged, enlightened by hearing these perspectives. And your challenge is challenging me. And I think that just understanding my own limitations as a woman and, you know, as a mother in, in that process, you know, to prepare. And um, I think I'm just appreciating the different perspectives. Mm, nice. Oh, me, to... me too. So am I, so am I by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I, want to ask, well, I want to transition here then to the, the fortress archetype that we got brought up yesterday. And it kind of relates to this discussion that's ongoing in this podcast right now. In the fortress archetype, we heard about the Vedic marriage. And one thing that came up is like, you should know what you're getting into before you get into it. Like, this is what a Vedic marriage is. And, and that is very clearly conceived. This is the duty of a man. This is the duty of a woman. It was quoted that when, during the Vedic marriage, that it is considered that the husband takes 50% of the karma or takes the karma of the wife at the time of marriage. Something like heavy, <laughs> and a quote was provided for that. Um, and then in the course of that conversation, I brought up the fact that because there seems to be a lack of clarity on gender roles in our postmodern world, this is causing a lot of dysfunction in our relationships, um, like personal relationships and also relationships in society. I gave as an example of just being part of a dysfunctional organization where people didn't have, where a lot of the dysfunction was due to the lack of clarity of role. And I kind of wanted to hear your perspective on this angle of vision too, in the context of the, the, the fortress archetype, like this is a woman and there is this sense that there's kind of a role to be played, at least when you enter into a Vedic marriage, of course, there are certainly exceptions to this rule. Those were given also, where they just kind of stay home with the father they study Shastra and so on. Some exceptions to this was given. So there can be exceptions to the rule, but the general rule is same, especially when you're getting married and vast majority of the population was getting married, that this is your role and this mm -hmm. is this guy's role. And that role has to be honored. It seems kind of fitting in the ongoing discussion that's happening right now. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on this? I think it's kind of related. I also have something just to plug here, but let's first hear some initial responses and we can get back to it later. So, if I may, um, even just going back to stating another really controversial thing, it's just going to be my thing today, that, of course, birth control is every woman's right. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's our right. But at the same time, we have to acknowledge that if we are giving away something for free, it makes it harder for, to expect the other side to then actually commit. This is my take on it. This is my experience from actually going through uh, and coming mm. out the other side that birth control is basically something that's allowing us to not go through the path of marriage, mm. to not have to, both sides. It's allowing us to not have to commit. And if, if we can get something without committing, why would we commit? If, if I can get something without paying for it, why would I pay for it? So, so obviously, obviously, I'm not saying that 
uh, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't have a place in society. Like Daniel was saying, worse than not committing is having children, like actually having children that, that are going to destroy society even more. Unwanted children is couldn't you know i grew up with a lot of them i grew up with a lot of them and yeah so 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 that that's absolute but 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 also recognizing that that um everything has a price to pay every action that we do we're like it's it has a rippling effect and just to just to kind of as as women just to put it on the opposite sex to be like well well you know we if we had better fathers or better husbands then then we wouldn't have to struggle so much. I feel like it's a two-way street here. If we're, if, uh, if we're actually being mindful of what this, this, um, this imbalance, it's causing an imbalance, right? If, if, it, if they can get something for free, obviously, unfortunately, they're not gonna, it's not gonna be valued anymore. So that's why I appreciated what Hari Barsha Prabhu was saying yesterday, that, this is a Vedic model. Like now, if 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 we if we accept the parameters of the Vedic system, then we then we have to assume that it starts with commitment. It it starts with commitment, and and on both sides. And then this idea of fortress of a woman isn't so um, like oh well, it's not just my role. It's not just my responsibility to have to 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 stop the onslaught of degradation of society, but but. According to Arjuna, that's where it kind of begins, exploitation of women. You know, that's where it begins. Like, not that women get degraded first. First women get exploited. Exploitation of women leads to degradation in society. Meaning, you know, I don't know how to unpack that. But obviously there's both sides to that, that equation. We can't on one side be like, well, I wouldn't be doing this if they weren't doing that. I feel like it's both of us accepting both both genders accepting that uh parenting is a, is a responsibility on both sides equally equally i want to um plug abais has a comment here that it seems very related to what you're saying now although it was part of the previous discussion i agree that men need to help each other figure out their manhood definitely and that's what arises all about so if you can join us <laughs> shamelessly okay also just want to note that most men are super motivated by the approval and recognition of women so the qualities of men that women choose to approve of recognize and reward will also mold the behavior of men it's kind of related to what you're saying now mm. it's just taking a little bit of responsibility and and I to me, it's just a journey within, like recognizing what are my intentions and in everything I do. Am I simply mm-hmm. playing the victim card? Am I just being like, well, it's kind of their fault. They're, you know, it's I I want to recognize within myself what am what am I taking responsibility for here? And I'm I'm not saying we're not. It's a it's a, especially in India we see a lot of abuse, and I'm just I'm just now presenting a kind of in the West. What we see, what we what we now, uh, not not assuming that there's this kind of blatant force and oppression of women. I'm, I'm talking about when the level with the, with the level playing field. And I would, um, if I can add on to that, I think a problem is the with this idea of Sri Dharma is that a woman's only function is to be the fortress for a man. That's right. like mm. that is 
her role is it's dependent on the man. Right. Brought that and, up yesterday too. Right. And I I get that. And um I don't have an answer to that. I don't have a response. But what I can say, just on a basic level, I was also thinking about Arjuna's logic regarding the degradation of society, exploitation of women. And I was thinking, if men are charged with protecting women, and I don't have the exact quotes for it, but I, I have heard it and Arjuna did say that it's so important to protect women in the Gita. Um, then only naturally, if women are being protected by men, then women also can protect men. It's just going to look different, you know. Mm, and I exactly, important, yeah. you know, I think it's very interesting. Yesterday, you know, you were talking about women, um, you know, having so many more material desires than men, and I was cringing a little bit. <laughs> I couldn't help but just kind of like acknowledge the truth. Whatever that may look like. And sometimes in modern culture, we say, well, men only have one thing on their minds, right? And, you know, men just want sex. And I think it's a very simplistic, maybe even demeaning joke. But I think it's understanding that that's maybe a weakness for a man. And I was talking to my husband about this, and he was saying, well, what is protecting a man when you, how do we, like, okay, we talk about how men exploit women, but how do women exploit men? Exploitation means that there's a, a weakness, and I'm going to exploit that weakness. Exactly. What is weakness for men. Maybe this can be acknowledged. You know that desire, the sexual desire. So then, women. How is how are women exploiting men? Also, this kind of I'm going to dress in a certain way, talk in a certain way. There's something very empower. There's something powerful about feeling like oh, I can exploit someone's weakness and kind of have them under my control, and so. Feeling like, yes, I can be a fortress for my husband, you know, or the person that I'm with, that I can protect this man. He needs that protection, that it's it, it can be a very um, treacherous world for a man because it's it, it's just it's a different perspective than for a woman. You know, it's not on the same level in terms of how he's attracted and their their weaknesses. And so feeling like, OK. If they have this weakness, how can I protect my husband? And I don't know about the whole controversy about that one being a woman's only function to protect her husband, to, <laughs> to only be a mother, whatever that is. But I can acknowledge the truth of it, that protecting my husband by, uh, as Abai was saying, you know, just encouraging and, and also being there for him in that way, then that means that, you know, that will leave him protected also to take on his role as a husband, as a father. Because, you know, as Kishore was saying, yeah. everything is cheap. How are they going to invest their lives if it's cheap? Or if they don't feel like they have value as a father or as a husband, then, you know, they need to, to also take some responsibility on the woman's side to also contribute and feel like, okay, he does feel protected in this relationship and encourage. Nanya, I, that, that, that pencil face is. We gotta strong. just turn the video off. <laughs> Jai's just like reading me. <laughs> no, I think I think you guys are brilliant. That's that's the beautiful thing about this conversation is that we could just have this conversation with Kishori and there'd be so much wisdom. We could just oh, have gosh. this conversation with Bhakti and there would be so much wisdom. And this is what counts, right? Is that the women's voices are being amplified and our personal experiences are our understanding of Shastra is being amplified. Um, 
you know, there's a couple of things that came to mind. I'm hearing this idea circling around of, well, if it comes cheaply, then who's going to want to commit? Um, I'm going to challenge that a little bit because few things have come more cheaply to me than sex from men, right? Men are offering up sex left, right, center from such an early age. And that's never impacted my desire to commit. I want to commit, even if sex comes easily to me as a woman. So this excuse of like, oh, if sex is easy, then who's going to want to commit? There's another side to that. I'm not saying that that's not true. There's that famous saying of like, if you can get the milk for free, why buy the cow? <laughs> so right. there is that that exists, but there's also another reality, which is, you know, sex comes unbeckoned, unwanted, unwarranted, free of charge from the time that we're even too early to know what it is as women. And that doesn't shift our desire for commitment. So it's just a little kind of grain of salt that I want to add to that prep to see what, um, you know, I don't, I don't have further elaboration on that. It's just a consideration that came to mind as we were talking about it. Can you expand on that Sorry. very last part, yes, that last I'm, part I'm you little, just said? I was confused. I'm, so, I'm also confused as to what, sorry, if I could just ask, what you're saying that it doesn't affect your your commitment? Like just yeah, so we're saying available. the reason why men may not want to commit in a relationship is because they can get sex for free from a woman. Right, okay. I'm saying maybe... But I've been able to get sex for free from a man since forever. And that hasn't influenced my desire to commit. I do want to commit. So male but, psychology and female psychology are going to be different. But I think that it's very close-minded to say that necessarily the, the, um, the defining factor in commitment is solely placed on accessibility to sex. That's a very strong pull, I'm sure. But there's so many other things that can influence that. And when we talk about exploitation, it's not just exploitation of body. It's exploitation of resources. It's psychological exploitation. You know, so I, I think it's, it's a little bit more nuanced is what I'm saying. If you just lock it into like, you know, <clears throat> the birth control Sorry. conversation or the sex conversation, I feel like it kind of it, it zooms it in so far that you lose perspective of kind of the, the greater conversation. <clears throat> Okay, Kishore, Jenny, before Kishore. you respond, I just want to, I just want to, um, just just resetting context. So the context was that gender roles. That was right. the context we were discussing the Sri Dharma archetype in terms of gender roles, and like there's crystal clear. Yeah. And if you're going to enter into a Vedic marriage, you embrace those Absolutely. roles specifically. Absolutely. So that was the original context, and then Kishore Jani brought up the birth control yeah. item as an example in ways in which people try to sidestep those well, totally totally okay Kishore I brought up the birth sorry Please. i brought up the birth control because it was mentioned earlier but right. um, well since birth i don't know what it was mentioned about so so i i elaborated on birth control as women who use birth control that that already assumes that those women did not choose the path that you chose then yet that meaning they did uh choose sex they did choose Sure. So, so obviously, so, so my point is, with that assumption, the use of birth control assumes that sex is, is already taking place. Totally. So, so that means, that means it's, it's available now. So that, that kind of notion is valid anymore. And just because if it's already, it, it's already been, it's already happened. So, mm -hmm. so now in that context, it's, it's not really a question of, of whether 
you know, it's a choice that, that somehow a woman is making a better choice. Women don't, like, I think your assumption was, where you're sharing from what I understand, is that sex is available to women as well, and we don't commit, but the assumption is that, uh, sorry, that we still choose commitment, but the assumption here is with using birth controls that you haven't chosen the, the commitment first. Yeah. That sense? Well, that's what I'm saying. Sorry. If we limit it, then we're saying that married women don't use birth control, which they do. We're talking about women with children not using birth control, which they do. We're talking yeah. about women in long-term yeah. committed relationships. So that's what I'm saying. It's just saying yeah, like broadening it to, you know. So, For but sure. the other thing that did come to mind, you know, when we talk about woman as fortress, which is the particular archetype that we're talking about, I like this concept. You know, when when we read in Shastra what protection is. We hear that women, and, and you can correct me if I, if I have this inaccurate, but that women protect a man's senses, right? So we're essentially, um, you know, protecting on such a personal, intimate level, right? By providing, let's say, intimacy, um, a, a sensual experience. We're giving protection by what we provide and that connection that we have. And then, you know, complementary, men give women protection in so many ways. That's the duty of the father, of the son, of the husband. Um, so I think it's important to highlight, you know, what are we protecting whom from? When mm. we protect yeah. women, who are we protecting them from? Can, can I just, I just want to, I just want to throw in a quick little spanner in the works here, just in terms of like women providing that protective element by, you know, being shelter for the senses, so to speak. How then would you respond to, and I know that this particular statement may refer to more kind of like society in general and not necessarily within the context of the Bhakti community, but like Chanakya Pandit's statement that like a beautiful wife is an enemy. Like how does that make you feel and 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 how does that contrast with like women as fortress and the protector of the senses of the man yeah i think i think it's a brilliant add-on to the conversation because we're talking about who is this man <laughs> right for a man who's going to fall into my wife is her body she's here for my exploitation my enjoyment and she's here to satisfy my material desires a beautiful woman will be your enemy because she will be your downfall she will be the focus of your intention. She will be the focus of your meditation. And when you leave your body, you might just become a woman in the next one. <laughs> so, of course, that's going to be your enemy because of your own meditation. Now, when we talk about the woman in Shastra, you tell me what elevated, esteemed, uh, you know, demigoddess or pure devotee woman in Shastra isn't described as beautiful. None, because they shine beauty through their qualities and sometimes even their physiology. And so are these women to be considered enemies of their spouses, their partners, their counterparts? Absolutely not. They were the qualified other half. And beauty was a natural result of their character, was a natural opulence that was bestowed on them because of who they were. And so it's a natural, it just goes naturally. Right. Mm. And it's one of Krishna's opulences. So, of course, any any, you know, sincere devotee is going to be, you know, sheltered under those same qualities. So the beauty of the woman is not necessarily going to be the game changer. It's the meditation of the man. Mm. 
Sorry, oh, I'm blushing yeah. again. I'm blushing again. Kishori, uh, what's what's going on for you? What's going on for you? I, I see you like. Uh, there's just so many so uh, different things, and it, uh, I totally agree with that. But somehow beauty, uh, you know, it's a double-edged sword. It can be your downfall, and it can also we're totally pleasure-seeking. Krishna is all attractive. Why is he? Why is he this magnet? Like if he was ugly. <laughs> <laughs> a, you know, yeah. You know, beauty is not something that somehow it's like it's like gamma Krishna. Like we have this, it's a kind of a one-sided view of so many things. Uh, so lust can become totally, you know, something that liberates us. Beauty can be something that is very useful in our spiritual um, journey. I mean, it's, it's totally dictates my spiritual path. To Krishna, so um, I don't see any problem with with beauty. I mean, I, how many beautiful men do we know? Come on, it's like, are you kidding me? This whole idea of temptress and how, as if like men are the only ones struggling with uh, with beauty issues, or looking at another another beautiful thing and wanting and desiring it. Like, come on, like I, that's mm. not something I can uh, be like. Oh, it's just their their problem. I will fully admit that that is something that I grapple with on a daily basis. It's not something that just men have to contend with. Uh, so it's a natural uh, inclination for every jiva to be attracted to beautiful things, to be attracted to um, pure good things. So uh, I I don't see a, a problem there. <laughs> uh, Bhakti Lata, something on this? Um, regarding beauty, I, I'm just resonating with what both you've shared. I was thinking about this matter of birth control because I brought it up early in the conversation regarding uh, it's a technology that has kind of equalized the playing field in many ways. It's on a very historical, practical level. And it's also, it's a certain technology that has also kind of, at least in my experience, um, in terms of gender roles, right? This is kind of, things are getting um, not only equalized, but women are having similar roles as men historically. So um, it's becoming, I think that that confusion or the melding of the, the gender roles can be a source of strife. I'm just gonna say, it can be like, what is my role in this relationship? And, and does my role have value? And um, I think it's, it's like, um, I don't know, I was thinking about this, like, I don't know what your experience is as men, but if a woman is like super competent, she can make all the money and, and do everything, like where does a man stand in terms of his contribution to the family? I don't know exactly about that exactly. <laughs> because, because I do, I feel like I want to use my talents and my skills, my education, and I want to contribute something. But like Kishore was saying even earlier, like having all these roles of like, I need to somehow be learned and beautiful and powerful and have a perfect home and a beautiful mother and I need to do everything. Then what does the man do? What is a man's role then? And I'm just wondering about that. Right. I, if I could just reflect on that, that I, Fully, fully, have, uh, I'm on this whole no gender equality. <laughs> like, please bring back gender roles. I mean, from a very postmodern mm. perspective. <laughs> Once we've leveled the playing field, every mm. woman is entitled to do anything she likes. Exactly. With that disclaimer, 
With that disclaimer. Yes, an egalitarian society. Yes. Right. And right. and I'm I'm just reflecting my own journey. When I'm in my twenties and uh, teens, I was like, gender roles, who needs those? Right? Like that's that's ludicrous. I can do whatever I want. Um and then once I started seeing that it's, there's a lot of dysfunction because now no one knows what to do mm-hmm. because everyone's doing everything. And we have this facade of I'm so, I got it all together. I'm so independent. I'm so self-sufficient. But there's this, this serious sense of emptiness within and we're just uh, alone. Everyone's just on this. <laughs> anyway, not everyone. But now in motherhood, I'm like, oh, my God, it's not like. I can just be like, hey, Birge, I got the last two. Can you get these two? You know, I, I you know, why can't we just share this role here? Mm-hmm. There's one role that cannot be shared. I cannot. I'm talking about birthing the baby in case I lost some people there. Mm-hmm. I can't be like, I got these two, you know, and, and you, can you get the next two? There's, there's one role that I cannot share with him, the, the, the physiological change or the, the toll that it takes on the body uh, everything and and the the concurrent joy and everything to be felt reward is mine and mine only in one sense of course mm. you know every father has a lot of excitement and bliss and all that but it's nothing I just have to put it out mm. there it's nothing in comparison to what a mother feels mm. and sacrifices and enjoys so mm. this thing cannot be shared in the way that we expect everything else to be shared. So now that I've become a mother, I'm like, I don't think gender neutrality works here. And the more, especially, especially when you're, if you think, in the, especially from a Vedic perspective, once you start understanding that this role of woman as a mother is quite crucial, I'm just saying from the Vedic perspective, not my opinion, I'm going to say something controversial again. From the Shastic perspective, every woman should have children. This is, this is not my statement, please. Don't shoot me. But because, like Parashat Prabhu was saying yesterday, that that is the debt that we pay off. That is somehow the debt that we pay back. And if you can't, of course, if you choose not to, that's fine. That's everyone's choice here. But now if we take that perspective, that that's, the goal of a civilized society to have good children have good generations to follow if that is an understood goal then i as a woman object to the idea that there should be no gender roles because i have a role prescribed to me already that i cannot change in that sense in the sense of the next generation uh my commitment to the next generation i cannot choose any other role Therefore, I propose men have a very specific role. <laughs> mm-hmm. I propose that men become someone who can support me and who can protect me and who can provide the shelter that we spoke of earlier because we absolutely need the support. Mm-hmm. Going through motherhood, even with a partner, but without external support, is almost just as lonely mm-hmm. and difficult. I know couples who either don't gel with the community or don't really have a place in the community. And it is extremely difficult for them because they're, again, it's, it's not just the husband wife experience. Motherhood mm-hmm. or parenthood is not just, the support is so integrally essential. 
in all directions. So what to speak of, if we try to, I feel like this idea of erasing gender roles is meant as a, you know, the emancipation of women. It's supposed to be that we, we do things that are for our benefit, but somehow I don't see it now that I'm a mother. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I have a husband who absolutely is just incredibly supportive and, you know, everything that I, I need. But in society, but because he's playing his role, he's playing it, he's supporting me. Mm-hmm. He is financially, emotionally, physically, he's supporting me. And if he wasn't, I would have a completely different experience of motherhood. I would not. So this is my point. I'm, I don't think that erase, erasing, of course, if we're not choosing to have a long-term relationship with someone or, or uh, motherhood, then it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. But seeing as though society eventually gets there, mm-hmm. society needs to populate and reproduce eventually some of us, whether we like it or not, are going to end up in motherhood. And by erasing gender roles, we're actually shooting ourselves in the foot. And that's my take on it. That's just my mm. experience <clears throat> of it. Sorry. Please, I'd like some feedback. Don't no. worry. I'm sure it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> right, I right. Keep- I, I meant from Danya and and Bhakti. I know, yeah. and I, I meant that too. Okay, I thought, no, no horrible comments, please. <laughs> I, just, I just want to very briefly say that, like, I may be kind of like the exception here, and I, I also want to say that it's one characteristic of the postmodern times that we live in where people tend to, like, militantly argue on the basis of the exception which ticks me off like anything but i just want to say from from a personal perspective and it may not be like this for everyone but like i've for a long time for many years um felt like super fired up about fatherhood it's like something that i that i really really want to do and kind of like envisioning myself in in the traditional gender role of a man being the supporter and provider and you know especially on an external practical financial level what really freaks me out about that is that i feel that it's going to minimize my ability to play like a super involved and active like day-to-day hour-to-hour kind of role in my kids growing up right like i want to be there all the time there's a big part of me that feels like, um, you know, I could totally be like the stay-at-home dad that like takes care of the kids and do all of that, or that whole vibe. But, but like somewhere or other, I'm being expected to take up this other role, which, which I feel may take me away from that, which I intensely desire to do. Now, once again, I may be the exception, but that's also just something to consider. And just the final point to sort of round that off is that like, we are finding that in the times that we live now, the the Shastras speak to a Vedic civilization in which the line, the border, like, like kind of like, the gross material body and the subtle body, you know, you have a male body and you have a male subtle body. 
and the same thing for women. But now these days, the lines are so much more blurred. So we may start seeing that the exception becomes the norm to a larger extent as time goes along. So I also just want to emphasize that on an individual basis from one couple to another, it, there needs to be customization. There needs to be communication as to what is really naturally resonating for wife and husband as their desired roles, right? Case-to-case um, -case basis, but that requires serious I mentorship and guidance. That's all I'll say. Okay, if I may, sorry. Yeah, so, so um, I think sometimes it gets confused as to what, maybe what exactly we're, we're speaking about in general. Like, so my husband is very hands-on. He helps with diapers and cooking and cleaning and like whatever the need may be because we've got four kids. I cannot, I don't have six arms. So I need, I need help. So I don't think that when I'm saying gender roles are essential, I don't mean he doesn't, help out any in any way in the house at all sure, that's sure. that's i don't mean that at all um i mean i mean this kind of almost like like you're saying the sexual sexual energy as well the sexual energy full support like uh, obviously purush and prakriti they've, they've got a certain role to play they've got a certain so it's not even it's not even like oh he's got this role and that's that's a fixed thing that he has to do. Not mm -hmm. at all. It's just his presence, the fact that I feel cared for, the fact that mm -hmm. I feel taken care of, that I don't have to financially worry. This is an important part. We may, if you, you know, can you afford children? It's becoming more and more of the conversation. And that's, that's a really valid concern because if you're having to worry about that, it really changes the experience again. And obviously nowadays, it's, it's most people need two incomes to survive. That's just the reality. And so it does skew the, the situation of just typical gender roles in that sense. And I'm fully, that is obvious that if both parents have to work, then when they come home, they both have to help out. That's just, uh, and so in that sense, the role is fluid. The role is definitely fluid. But if possible, as, as much as possible, this sense of security and structure and stability is, at least from my understanding of the female psyche, it's, it's really, really essential just for me to, yeah. to not have to think that, oh, my gosh, is he going to be around next week? Oh, my God. You know, do, it's, yeah. a, it's, it's a subtle thing. It's, uh, and that, so it's not more about, it's not so much about money or about resources as much as it is about commitment, which is why, Again, the Vedic system where you vow in front of everyone, you, mm. you, you take a vow in front of the Lord and everyone so that this commitment is solidified just beyond two people saying yes. Uh, mm. So I, I think gender roles by my description is something very, it's not so black and white. That's not what I meant. Right. I just wanted to clarify that, yeah. that it is yeah. indeed very, very fluid, but in an overall sense, this Purusha and Prakriti energy that he is definitely the stabilizing structure to my very fluid nature. And, mm. um, and, and, and just being yeah. mindful of that, being mindful that I am here for you. He is 
you know, we're talking about fortress, the woman being a fortress, but I feel sheltered and protected by him without him. It's not like he's, you know, buff and muscly or has to like ward off, <laughs> you know, people. No, that's not the kind of protection I need. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I want to give more of a, yeah. Sorry, I just wanted to give Tanya an opportunity to respond to this. I, yes. Just backing up a little bit, um, Bhakti Lata kind of opened this up like, okay, if everyone can do everything, then who's supposed to do what? And if the woman is super empowered and educated and XYZ, then what the man is supposed to do? And, right. and then um, Corona Avatar is saying, like, he's kind of an exception. I'm pretty sure, I, I, I don't know Corona Avatar fully, but I'm almost 100% sure that he would love to just be a stay-at-home dad. And if the lady wanted to work, he'd be like, go for it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's that type of guy. But I've also heard from other men that, and it's a general trope also that you see in like media world, that generally men tend to be a little bit apprehensive about getting in committed relationships with those type of women. For whatever reasons it may be, people will give different reasons for that. So that opened up this sort of, this kind of worm about gender roles and so on. I wanted to give Diane an opportunity to respond to this, this little can of worms that Bhaktivedanta initiated. It seems like you were taking notes on a few things. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, I, th I think it's a great point that, you know, when roles are not established, there's confusion about who's doing what. And so there might be redundance, like too many people want to do the same thing and not enough mm -hmm. people want to do the things that are needed and that are necessary. And then what ends up happening is, as we were talking about this concept of ashram being hard work, if I'm not clear on my role, I will only focus on my rights and not my responsibilities. Mm. I will yeah. focus on what I want to do and not what I'm supposed to do because I'm not even clear on what the boundaries are. Mm. My tendency, because I'm a flawed, you know, conditioned soul, is to enjoy. And so my tendency in confusion will be to gravitate towards what I like. Mm -hmm. and what I want to do and to shy away from what I don't want to do. So I'm with you guys on the fact that roles are necessary. Um, I think that, you know, in a spiritual society, that makes sense to be done according to nature and capacity. And I don't necessarily think that that has to be tied to your uh, like chromosomal makeup. Um, you know, as Karun Avatar was saying, you know, you're psyched about being a dad and you would love to be a full-time dad. And you, Bali also had that experience. Like Bali was psyched to be a dad, is psyched to be a dad. And he's oh, an incredible father. And we joke around sometimes, you know, like, yeah, if Danya can just like sugar mama me, then I'll just stay at home <laughs> and raise mama. <laughs> Oh my God, I can hear his voice right now. Yeah, right? <laughs> right. So, you know, if, if you have that inclination and you have that capacity, and Bali's certainly a very qualified father, it's not that he can carry the baby for me. He's not going to be able to. That's a gift that, as you were saying, Kishore, that's something I can contribute to the relationship that physically he's just not capable of doing. So it's acknowledging, you know, a common sense acknowledgement of physiologically he's going to physically do heavy lifting because he's stronger than I am. And I'm going to do the childbearing because I can do that physically. So, you know, that part for me is kind of obvious. And I don't think anybody's arguing for, you know, that in this, in this realm, at least that seems like a superficial consideration, but I am hearing you guys say that, you know, roles are important and how are you going to know what your nature and inclination is? If you're not given space to explore it, if you're not giving avenues 
to kind of sharpen who you are, to arrive at a relationship with some form of self-knowledge. Hey, I'm really psyched to be a dad. Or, you know, parenting for me is just not accessible, but I, I really want to be a provider. So I'm here to support you, you know, or, you know, I want to live a life of like retired, serious spiritual study where kids are not in the picture, but we dedicate ourselves as a power couple to fully preaching and spreading the holy names. Okay. So know yourself is the first component. What is my nature? What is my inclination? What is my qualification? And then using hopefully a supportive spiritual community, which I'm not saying this is there. I'm saying this is what would be nice. Uh, a supportive spiritual community, mentors, elders who know you, right? Acceptance, space for vulnerability, where I have the capacity to get to know a partner whose roles harmonize with mine. They don't duplicate mine and they also don't suppress mine. They don't repress mine. They don't dictate what I need to do against my nature and I don't dictate what they need to do against their nature, nor are we redundant. Everybody in the family wants to be a stay-at-home parent. Nobody wants to work. Useless, right? <laughs> right? So, you know, know yourself and what you want to do and harmonize with a partner who's going to complement that. That's what makes sense. And sometimes that means both people work. Sometimes that means no kids. Sometimes that means 10 kids. Sometimes that means you work for a period of time. I work for a period of time. I fully stay at home and you support me. You fully stay at home. So what I'm saying is like that, the limitation, the small mindedness it kind of, it, it makes me feel sort of suffocated and it makes me feel like there has to be a greater spiritual vision of what is possible because the goal is not for me to have a little check at the end of my life of like, you know, these are the things that I got done on the material platform is how is my material configuration, physical body, subtle body going to be channeled, plugged in, to the kind of master circuit of spiritual Shakti so that I can do the best for my community, so that I can do the best service that I can for my guru and Goranga and take us all back home, back to Godhead. I'm a woman for like a blip on the radar. You know what I mean? I was probably like a flamingo in my past life. I might be a man <laughs> in my next life. Like it's a blip on the radar. So you're gonna tell me that I'm gonna spend my whole life racking my brain about how to woman to the max womanhood and Bali's gonna be manic. It's like, dude, do whatever is in your nature and your capacity, channel that for Lord Chaitanya and Haribo, let's move on guys. Cause like really, like we don't have that much time and I could be here talking about birth control all day. And I could be here talking about men who don't, you know, don't know how to step it up to like a woman who has more than one anything. Well, we could be here all day on that. But at the end of the day, those are material considerations. And that's not what we're about. Even the concept of marriage, Prabhupada said in one, I don't know if it was a conversation or if it was a letter, he said actually better to remain unmarried, man and woman. They actually asked him, even woman? And he said, yes, better to become unmarried and do your work. But if it's in your nature to be married, which it is for most people, because most people want a partner, it's just the composition of society, then find a partner who harmonizes and who like, can get down with your jam and then you guys do that together for the benefit of your community and society. You know what I'm saying? Totally. Well, what I'm hearing from you, Tanya, and what I feel that I heard from Karuna Avatar also, um, a sort of negotiation is taking place. Right. There's room for negotiation. And saying that, I want to plug, Abaya has a nice comment here. It's possible to support general slash Shastric principles without negating the importance of individual analysis and application. 
Vice versa also, possible to support the importance of individualized considerations without negating general slash Shastric principles. Beautiful. So I, yeah, I just, I'm, what I'm hearing, what I'm hearing is that you, because we're finite entities with limited knowledge, it's very, very helpful, if not absolutely essential, to have templates to work with. Of course. You know, you need the sort of templates. And what I'm hearing in this general discussion is that Shastra, the old world, provided general templates. And probably a lot of people fit neatly into a lot of those templates. And then some of those templates had to be tweaked right. according to individual circumstances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what I'm hearing from you, Danya, is that do the self-discovery work, not only on the spiritual level, but on your psychophysical situation. There needs to be self-discovery. And then when you enter into a relationship with that self-discovery, you use that self-discovery to understand, okay, this template's gonna work. This needs to be tweaked here for me and also for the other parties that's entering into that relationship. And, you know, that's do the real work of going back home to God. Like we have an actual spiritual purpose. So we're gonna take advantage of this template. We're gonna tweak it here, we're gonna tweak it there. And then we can do the real focus of going back home back to God. I'm just reflecting what I think I'm hearing. Beautiful. And I, I really resonate with that also, what you were saying, Danya, about being a woman for just a blip in, the, in our existence. And that almost getting so entrenched in this identity of being a woman and all the, the concomitant things that come up with being a woman. And I just, I feel like there, there can be a lot of um, strife and just almost identifying too strongly with yes. being a woman. It's like, okay, what are my roles? How can I use them to best serve this lifetime to live a harmonious life, you know, that I'm not distracted by the fact that I'm a woman or distracted by things that I can focus on the real goal of life, which is really to actually transcend this material world and not even to be here. This is not our home. So, I mean, being a woman and just I almost I need to do some self-discovery, discover who I am in this life. Not only being a woman, who am I am in way other contexts. I am way more than just a woman. <laughs> I have so many no. other. So many other. And I, I don't like being boiled down to just, you know, what I physically One look metric. like. Right. Yeah, I feel like I have so many. And I feel like let me get in touch with what those identities are. I, just so I can be aware so that I'm not fighting against my own nature. And then ultimately I can just be in harmony with myself, with others, with my family, with my society, and then actually like transcend. That's the whole point. I need to transcend this, these material conceptions. And so getting too entrenched in my race or my gender or whatever it is, my nationality, it just feels like this dead end street. It's not gonna take me where I really need to go. It's just how can I use this context to actually grow and actually connect to God and 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 all those around me, how can I can we can all connect to God? I want to give Kishore a chance to respond to this because now she's got the pencil face. It transferred from that over to Kishore. But I wanna I wanna I wanna interject quickly that I think it is a general problem of our times that we're not even Varner Sankara, we are Sankara Sankara. We're like mixtures of a mixture of a mixture of a mixture of a mixture. And that's not only reflected in how people like look physically, but it's certainly reflected in the psychology. So there's a lot of confusion going on inside people's heads. This came up in our last podcast. People don't even know if they're a man or a woman anymore. Now there's non-binary, there's all sorts of, there's like about 93 genders and counting, like it's growing. So there's a lot of confusion happening inside. And then you look at the world around you and it's more confusion. So I kind of see the wisdom 
and like very like fixed sort of templates. And and in the light of what you're saying, like our real work is spiritual development. And so in order that I'm not wasting too much time with the material energy, look y'all, here's some fixed templates. They work good enough. Like if your purpose is spiritual life, these things work good enough. Tweak it however necessary you need to tweak it. Don't spend much time in it because it's just a blip and, mm -hmm. and the road towards eternity. But if you're, because of the mass confusion happening internally because of the Sankara Sankara issue, mm -hmm. it's actually leading to a lot of time waste. And like, what am I, what am I, what am I supposed to do? So in that sense, I kind of see the, I can appreciate like, boom, one, two, three, four, take your pick, you know, mm -hmm. and then do your real work of getting out of the material world, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to interject with that. But Kishori, Johnny, you you got you you took the pencil face down. So um So just really briefly one point and then I have another point, sorry, because I forget. So uh, about the gender role and um, mother and father. So when we became parents, we started reading up, okay, what do we need to do? Like parenting boys, parenting girls is slightly different needs and ways to do it. And uh, Danya might be able to corroborate, I mean, confirm or, or deny this, that it is uh, also a well-researched fact that in the first five years of development, children are much more inclined and need their mothers. And I can say that from my experience, that that is a fact, that children, no matter how, male or female, they they are always looking for the mother and they need the presence. And it makes a huge difference to their long-term development and just their, um, you know, psychological makeup later on in life. So even, you know, the Vedic system also, the first five years is extremely crucial. So as much as I, of course, you know, agree that we should be free to choose, mm -hmm. um, with that choice, there's always someone who's paying the price. So my point is, that, that's been my experience. It, parents choose something that's absolutely fine. You know, whatever works for them is fine. But for the children, a mother being at home is is a really important part of their experience of, of, of childhood specifically. And that actually affects their everything else in life. So, um, you know, this is, it sounds nice that everyone has a choice and everyone can just choose and but it it, does, it it has it comes at a price. It, it, we have to acknowledge that we may not be paying the price, but the child might be if the roles are reversed. Because as much as we'd like to, the father can't breastfeed. The father kid does not have the uh, the energy that we're talking about. The coronavirus I was mentioning that there is just there's a special nourishing that goes with the female energy, and we can't you know just somehow negate that so in my my experience uh, every single one of my kids up until six has been at, like to the point where i sleep with all of them in my bed they absolutely like it's it's mad right. it's like it's totally nuts and uh, no matter how much we try uh, until they get to a certain age they don't actually have that same craving need and after six something like switches like if you, you can read up about this, this is researched data. Something switches and then they need the father. Isn't that amazing? Like there's a there's actually a transition that happens and then they need the father. So as much as we would like to just say we can just choose and whatever works for us, yes, to, to a certain degree, 
as long as we're also uh, mindful of what the price is that we're also paying in one sense. That was the first point. And then the second point I wanted to make about this idea that, you know, let's not be so hung up on us being women, um, just like any other upati, just like any other like race or class or something. But actually, gender from the Vedic perspective is something very, it's something very unique. It's not the same as caste or race. Mm. Uh, gender in the Vedic system, because again, boils down to the same point, because no one else can do my job of birthing a child, it has a special place. It has a special space, a special spiritual potency, and a special dharma associated with it. Now, dharma usually gets translated as something like, oh, I have to do this, my duty. That's usually our connotation of it. But my perspective on it now is that it's there for our upliftment. Mm. It's there for my emancipation. My Sri Dharma is not there to limit me. It's not there to somehow degrade me. It's there to, to help me because I'm going to be in this position sooner or later. Uh, if Should I choose it? So if you choose that role of Sri, which in Sanskrit means to expand, which means to have children, or to mother, it all boils down to this role. And once we choose that role or have a mindset that I want to become a mother at some point, then all of these paradigms come into consideration. Just like I was saying yesterday, if we don't, if we don't have faith in the Vedic system, then nothing matters. I mean, this whole discussion is, in, to me, is almost mute. But at the same time, once we accept that Vedic paradigm, then dharma comes into play. There's two ways to achieve perfection, right, for everyone. One is through bhakti, one is through dharma, obvious. And so, yes, at the same time, we want to say that through bhakti, we can give up all of our debts and obligations. Absolutely true. But what kind of bhakti? We're talking about ananya bhakti. We're talking about ekam, you know, sarva dharma You can only give up your dharma. Mam ekam sharanam braja. That means if you have that Tivra bhakti, non-mishra bhakti. You've got, you know, you've got that one-track mind, no desires, no other contaminations in us. Then we can hang up our karma and our fate mm. on this tag of bhakti. Mm. Like, mm. I'm not a woman. I'm not a this. I'm not a that. that. That's. I feel like it's a really like whimsical idea to be like I'm not a woman. You know, as soon as we take birth. We are, we are subject to the laws of this body. We are subject to the laws of this body. To whimsically, you know, take it off and shrug it off is, is actually quite detrimental. So yes, we're all on this path of bhakti and it is the easiest, quickest way. But, but then we have to follow the rest of Srila Prabhupada's easy ticket, you know, get out of jail free card, which again and again, of course, he did make that quote that best thing is not to get married for everyone for both genders that's that there is a fine print with that because as soon as we come to the idea that actually i do have desires it's about again about this personal reflection and being honest and open with ourselves not trying to hide or trying to shame my own psyche somehow and be like well actually that's i'm a devotee i'm a devotee mm-hmm. no let's be honest do i have material desires do I have ego? Do I have these 
contamination, then I can't hang my fate on the bhakti card. So, so and then, then if you're not doing bhakti 100%, you know, if you're not following Prabhupada's model of, of get out in this lifetime, which is, what, 12 hours of service, going out on book distribution, like giving 108% to Krishna, yeah. that's the one life track. I remember having this conversation with my parents that I, I don't, I, I don't want to go back in this lifetime. I, I have desires. I, I want to be honest with myself. Mm. I have an ego. I want to do things. I have aspirations. And as long as we've got those, I'm sorry, bhakti is not the get out of jail free card. And mm. I and I had to recognize that. Then you've got to follow dharma. Then you've got to actually accept. Okay. But then it's not like, I love it because Krishna is not cruel. Dharma is not like a punishment. It's not like bhakti is the easy way out. It's not. We all know every devotee pretty much suffers immensely because it's purifying and that's our get out of jail free card right so it's not the easy way out it's actually extremely difficult to really get rid of those anartas which let's face it i mean i am not that person and therefore i recognize krishna gives you an easier way dharma follow dharma and then it will be susukam kartum abhyaya it will be joyful and it'll be easy it'll be like a stroll in the park as opposed to jogging a 20 mile you know thing right when you're not actually fit for it. Mm-hmm. So we can choose the quick route, you know, hardcore route of bhakti, but it's not a walk in the park. And when we fall from that, it can be serious damage. It can be mm-hmm. serious injury. If we're pretending to be beyond and above our body and above our, you know, pay grade as such, mm-hmm. then actually that fall from that, that position is, is really great. And that, that karmic toll is really great, actually. Mm-hmm. So just recognizing that if you're running 20 miles without any training, you're going to injure yourself pretty badly. But if you're walking through the park, taking baby steps at your own level, then it's enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Dharma is enjoyable. I choose dharma because I recognize that actually it's there so that I can walk through life enjoyably dharma is not just my right it's my privilege and it's something that if i just come to accept myself then it it's not limiting i don't know yeah. if I've yeah, i would like to that. um <clears throat> you know your points are clearly heard and well received at least by me um i wanted i wanted to give everyone an opportunity to make some final comments um just a couple of things before that this is um, probably been the most dynamic episode we've ever had on the rise. Absolutely, no um, doubt. I really appreciate this healthy <laughs> tension that I'm hearing in the conversation. I, I, I know, Sorry. I know people. No, don't apologize. I think this is. What I we love need to you know. all. <laughs> and they know that, and we know that. We came to know that before we got on. But I think these are the sort of conversations that we need to be having a lot more of in our communities. The ones where there's tension, but there's respect and there's regard and there's actually hearing and reflecting what the other person is saying and acknowledgement of, well, I get that angle, but I disagree with this angle. And there are a lot of reasons why we may disagree, Shastric reasons. I, I suspect there may be cultural reasons also why there can be disagreement or just nuances in our approach to application. But you guys have definitely, I mean, this has been like a fired up episode. I didn't know it was going to be this much juice. 
I'm like, <laughs> and I also want to say that I'm very humbled just by how intelligent you guys are. I'm sorry. Um, I, some of my friends have been messaging me during the podcast, and I don't even know if I should say the language, but they were like, holy, sh these people are like super intelligent. <laughs> So I'm not the only one experiencing that, like they're kind of being humbled by the intelligence on this podcast, but I think we should wrap it up and maybe we can have you guys on maybe individually or together again to expand um, some of these discussions. I did want one thing one, as you're giving your final comments, this particular comment came up earlier, which was interesting to me um, from Kamenia Devi. She says there's so much focus on parenthood in this discussion. Now that was not intentional, but, and it's interesting because we, we covered actually all four of the archetypes, um, well, all three, except for the, we only touched on the temptress one, but Diane gave a very brilliant understanding that matched Hari Prashad's presentation of the temptress. It's not really the woman, it's what's going on in the man's mind. And it's because of his meditation that the woman becomes a temptress for him. That was super brilliant. We only touched on that. A lot of discussion got captured by the mother and the gender role of street dharma conversation. Even when we opened up with the differences of gender and education, it kind of leaned in that direction. And I feel like there's something, I feel like there's something there, how, why the conversation kept coming back to that point. And I don't know, I don't know what that is, but um, it wasn't planned, it wasn't on purpose, that's how the conversation flowed. And I wonder what's, what's going on subtly that it keeps coming back to that when the discussion moment comes up. But, I'm gonna leave it to you guys to offer your final statements. Thank you so much for your your minds, such great minds, great tension, um, awesome. Final comments. I'm sorry. I just want to say I'm sorry. I, I, I get really fired up. He's sorry. Really He's sorry. Please, please, please stop apologizing. My dad used to say, oh, no. like start debating with people and like you know go become a lawyer or something." <laughs> no, 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 no. We that's that's why we appreciate you. That's why you're here. And sorry. like, yeah. Anyway, just big love to you. Big love to you. It's all good. <laughs> well, we'd like to go um, for some final statements. Kishore, you seat your most. <laughs> uh, I just, I just want to say that I, I, I truly, this wasn't meant to me be me on some moral high ground or you know morally yeah. cajoling you or anything. This is just, this is just my experience. Mm -hmm. And honestly, like I, I really apologize if it's triggering anyone. And and um, I just wanted to share that that to me these roles or dharma used to be a sense of burden and kind of like confusion but now i see it differently and my perspective now is that actually it is truly there for my benefit of course i can choose it or leave it but krishna is not cruel i've come to that conclusion he's not against me he doesn't think oh i'm i'm a woman therefore i'm less actually he He's laced it with so many rewards and I feel so empowered. I actually do feel within. And I just want to share that, that sometimes it's so difficult to come at the Shastra because it is, it feels um, very somehow heavy. And I feel like I just wanted to share that it's, it's actually, it can be very light. My experience has become lighter and lighter. Um, and I just wanted to, 
I appreciate your courage so much. That's why I reached out to you. I was just like, wow, she's kind of courageous because now people ah, can trigger by these sort of things. Let's see if we can get on the show. Oh, <laughs> All right. thank Dan you. Danya, some, some closing remarks. Well, I'll, I'll echo, you know, what you all said that Bhaktilata and Kishori are these exemplary, totally killer women who are like, you know, not just my friends, but also people that I look up to. And there's a lot of love there. I mean, Kishori and I go like way back now, you know, so and, and, and right back you know, at you, girl, you inspire <laughs> me in every way. Honestly, honestly, you know, Both I think of you. that all four of you. You know, the beauty of this discussion is that it, it's allowed to only be the beginning, right? These are yes. seeds that are being planted. This is the beginning of a dynamic conversation. These women's voices, the privilege of hearing women's voices is being illustrated in this conversation, regardless of where you fall on any spectrum, yes. regardless of what your uh, understanding or your even attachment to Vedic uh, perspective may be, mm -hmm. the fact that mm -hmm. women's voices are being amplified, that you gentlemen are having this conversation without us and then invite us to be a part of it. It's such a, it's such a beautiful example of what is possible and of the nectar that gets churned. You know, the nectar that gets churned with contact with this information, with conversation with this information, multiple viewpoints seen as abundance rather than contradiction. Mm. That for me is beautiful and that for me is useful mm. and that for me is spiritual because mm. here we are, you know, spending how much over two hours contemplating Prabhupada's words, the words of the Vedas, the yes. words of the Acharyas, the knowledge of other Vaishnavas, like this is it, man, like we're doing it, you know, so I think that that that's beautiful. And I, I like, you know, Kishori, what you said when you said that Dharma can be beautiful and there's that there's mm. that quote, that you know, those who protect Dharma are protected by Dharma. And I think that this is an important um, thing to understand. You know, they say that the Dharma of fire is heat and light. So fire can cook, fire can burn, burn fire can cure, yes. fire can warm. But what is the essential quality of fire is heat and light. It's inseparable from what it is. And so to get to know our own inseparable qualities, that's our mission in this life. And then to find people who harmonize with that, like-minded devotees, institutions that support that community that can uplift that. How do we create that? Not just receive it like, Hey, where's my community at? But you know, how do we create that? How do we show up for people in that capacity? How do we honor another's Dharma? Can I hold space for Kishori to fully step into her Dharma and celebrate her? Can I hold space? for Bhaktilata to fully know her dharma, step into it, celebrate her? Do I feel like I can get to know myself, step into it, celebrate, you know, be celebrated and, and feel supported? All with that guiding North Star. Let's do this for each other. Let's do this for Prabhupada. Let's do it to spread, you know, Lord Chaitanya's movement, uplift the world. That's where it's at. And, and I feel like I have so much admiration for the way in each of you contribute to that mission. It's, it's been such a humbling uh, opportunity for me to, to participate and, and to hear. I feel like my mind is, is expanded. I feel very grateful. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not sure how I'm going to follow you two. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be able to follow that either. I'm glad I went before her. <laughs> I'm feeling very... Um, yeah, I feel humbled. I feel grateful. I feel like um, I just feel like I have so much respect for the both of you and for you gentlemen who are doing this podcast. I think it's very exemplary that 
this is an honest man's podcast, you know, and you're inviting women to come and, um, and that you also have your own world and honoring that as men. And so um, I just feel that I think a takeaway from me is something that Kishore was mentioning about doing our Dharma is joyful. It's a joyful process. If I just understand my nature and who I am, God is, is God is not evil and trying to make me suffer. In fact, he just wants to see me happy. And I think yes. he just wants me to flourish and to grow. And he's giving so many ways to do that. And I feel that trusting that God is benevolent and that he wants the best for me. And that, um, you know, being in a woman's body is just a unique opportunity to explore how I can mm. best be in harmony with myself and with others. And so the more I'm in harmony, the more I can really be of service to the world and whatever role I play. So I just want to thank you all very much. It's been an honor to be here. Also special <laughs> thanks to um, Danya and Kishori because you guys had to step away from your kids to do this. <laughs> and that's a big sacrifice. So a special thanks oh. for that sacrifice to help give more expansion to our thoughts around the subject matter, especially as men mm. who are dealing with these archetypes, but often in confusion mm. and ignorance, they get messed up. <laughs> so you're expanding our understanding and awareness. So thank you so much. Um, Karuna Avatar, mm. you'd like to say anything before we go? No, once again, as I usually do, I'm just bubbling over with gratitude and soul satisfaction. So that's basically it. Um, and also just like one or two household items. Uh, if you have anything that you would like to share with us, please send us an email at man. That's our Instagram handle and uh, the same Gmail uh, address. So ariseheroicman at gmail.com. And um, yeah, just keep in mind, we have Hari Vilas coming up on Bodhika a little later at 7, 7 p.m. with his excellent On The Polis uh, podcast um, bound to be another immensely uh, enriching discussion. So please tune in for that. Ladies, we're going to end the broadcast, but just, just hang on for a sec. Okay. All right. Thank you cool. so much, everyone. Big love to you all. Thank you for supporting us. It's been incredible. Everyone <laughs> has hung on for like two hours and 20 minutes. We're very grateful. We couldn't do it without you. So thank you so much. Hare Krishna.